0: So we just started a series, 212 Degrees, and the whole idea behind this series is the idea that at 211 degrees, you have hot water, but at 212 degrees, you have boiling water, you have steam. This amazing transformation takes place that brings power and effectiveness and just totally changes everything that water is at that point. And we want the same to be true in our Christian lives, because so often we're just, just one degree short of doing amazing, awesome things for God. We are one degree short of having that breakthrough in our faith, of having that next step that just makes our faith so much more effective, that makes our testimony so much more powerful. So we've been looking at different ways that we can take our faith, that we can take Christianity to the next level. Now, how many sports fans do I have in here today? Anyone sports fans? All right, got lots of sports fans. I'm in good company. I I love sports. I love to watch sports. I love to play sports. I can't wait till my kids get old enough and one day I get to coach sports. I'm I'm looking forward to it. And and let me tell you, it it doesn't matter what sport it is, all right? Basketball, baseball, football, tennis, soccer, dodgeball, it does not matter to me. I was over at the middle school doing an FCA group the other day we broke out kickball. I'm telling you, I don't care. I just love sports. I love being involved in that. And and as part of that, I consider myself a fairly decent athlete. All right. I consider myself able to play just about any sport. You know, I played middle school, high school, college. Uh, I've played city league before, which by the way, if any of you guys are looking for a city league put together, I'm available. I'm a free agent. So see me afterwards. Um, But I used to think I really had it together and really athletic. And then I ran across a sport that would just humble me. A little sport called golf. (laughs) And let me tell you, I have a real love-hate relationship with golf. Because there is just something about it that makes it so difficult that I just want to do it more. And I want to play more. But it, it kills me. I mean, I'm sitting there thinking, in high school, I could hit, I could hit a fastball, all right? I could hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, no problem. The golf ball is sitting still on the ground, and I can't even make contact with it. And when I do make contact with it, don't even talk to me about where it goes. Half the time, I can't even find it. I mean, when I play golf, my score is not measured in strokes like normal people measure golf and, you know, how many hits it takes. It's just by how many golf balls I lose, all right, if I finish with as many golf balls or more because I like, you know, find the ones that other people have lost to, then that's, that's a good day for me. But I, I think the crazy thing about golf is that it, it requires this increased level of control, this increased level of precision and focus and discipline. And that control makes it different than the other sports uh, I've played and competed in. And the same is true in our Christian life. The Christian life takes a certain level of control, a certain level of discipline. And if we have that in our lives, it's one of those things that takes us to the next level. It's one of those steps that as Christians, if we can learn to live a life under control, that man, our witness will be so much more powerful. Our testimony will be so much more effective. Our faith and our Christianity will be so much more real and so much more what God intended it to be. Paul lays out for us in Ephesians chapter 4 two very important steps to living our life under control. So if you've got your Bibles, you've got your iPads, you've got your cell phones, turn there. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 25. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin, Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. The first thing Paul tells us and Paul illustrates here in the scripture is that if we're going to live our life under control, I must control my words. If you want to live that kind of Christian life, you have to learn to control your words. Words are powerful. I think sometimes we underestimate the power that words have in our own lives and the lives of those around us. I mean, let's be honest. We've grown up and at some point in all of our lives, we've heard and said that phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And we say that, but the more I think about it, here's the deal. The bruises and the scars and the wounds from the sticks and stones, they go away they heal. We can bandage them up. But the wounds that come from words, the scars that we have from those who've torn us down with words, man, they're deep, deep inside of us, and and they can turn into bitterness so easily. I mean, just think about in your life, the power people's words have in your life. Think about those great moments as, as you were growing up or going through life when a coach or a teacher or a, a parent spoke those words of encouragement to you and encouraged you to do it even in the midst of failure to keep trying and to get up and do it again and just think how powerful that was and how that pushed you along and how that guided you in your life. On the flip side, think about the negative words that have been spoken. Think about when a spouse or, or your employer or a friend speaks those just mean, hurtful words that just tear you down. Think about the impact that has on you. Those words are powerful. And it goes both ways. The words you speak have a huge influence and a huge impact on those around you. Understand, when you speak words of encouragement and words that build people up, words of love and hope and truth into the lives of those around you, you make their life better. But, man, when you speak words of of hate and you tear them down and you discourage them and you judge them and you condemn them, man, it tears them up inside, whether you realize it or not. Paul says if we want to control our words, we need to do two things. The first thing he says is to put away falsehood. Now listen, falsehood covers it all. In modern society, we've come to a place where we've kind of categorized lies. And certain lies are worse than others. All right, we talk about little white lies. We talk about exaggerations, half-truths, you know, all all these different forms. A lie is a lie. You know, we talk about, you know what, I just, I told the lie to protect them. I told the lie because I didn't want to hurt them. I, I lied in love. Listen, understand, get this right here, right now. It's self-deception to think for one minute that there is ever a circumstance where it is okay to lie. Study scripture, look through it, nowhere. Paul says, put falsehood away because it's only gonna cause you more problems. At the beginning of the school year, we, uh, we did a youth event called the Back to School Bash. It's a citywide event. All the all the churches come together, and we were able to host it this year. And so there was a lot of stuff that fell on our plates to get done and to make happen. So that day comes. It was a Sunday evening. So Sunday afternoon, as soon as everyone clears out of church, the youth staff team is in here, and they're setting up, and we got bands coming in, bringing in equipment, and we're trying to mix sound. and we're setting up a barbecue. You know, we got the grills going outside, the canopies. We just, we got people running all over the place, all right? And just, I mean, it's just going like crazy crazy well at some point in the process i'm in here mixing sound and one of our youth staff workers comes in and he says hey justin we don't have any propane tanks for the grill And i'm like oh man i forgot them at my house she's like you want me to go get them so i toss him my keys and he heads to the house to pick them up about five minutes later i get a call from him he calls me and i see it come up on the car idea i'm like hey man what's up he goes dude we have a problem I don't need a problem right now. I'm thinking, are the tanks empty? Can he not find them? I'm like, dude, dude, what's the problem? He goes, you dog peed on the carpet.
1: (laughs) That is a problem.
0: Uh, And so I'm sitting here and, and he's like, dude, just tell me where you keep the supplies. I'll clean it up for you. I'm like, wow, you're a really good friend. But in that moment, I got a million things going through my head and I'm thinking, I don't have time for this. I need him back here because I need him setting up over here and doing this. We need those propane bottles. And, and I just, I don't have time. I don't want my friend to have to mess with that. That's just not cool. And so I made a very bad decision at that point. Dude, just leave it. Really? I'm like, you never saw it. Dude, are you sure? I'm like, you saw nothing like all right man okay hangs up brings the propane tanks back everything's going great hour and a half two hours later I realized that I didn't bring any clothes to change into for the event and so I asked my wife Heather like Heather could you go home and, and get some clothes for me I had I had completely forgotten about it and sure enough Heather was not as understanding as Chris had been But we had our thing. I'm like, don't worry about it, Chris. Don't worry about it. He goes, dude, Justin, she's going to know. She's going to come. And and so uh, the youth staff worker, he he actually, I got to give him credit. Talk about a true friend. Not only did he volunteer to clean it up, but he lied for me (laughs) because Heather comes to him. And she's like, dude, what's going on? Uh, You came in, you got the propane tanks, you didn't even see that the dog had made a mess and da 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 And Chris like, ah, 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 ah. And he felt so guilty that he ended up taking the heat for me. He's like, I saw it and I knew I was just in a hurry, so I just left. I'm like, wow. But here's the deal. First, I lied. Now I'm causing a friend to lie. Not just lie, but a lot of my wife, someone I trust, someone that I should be able to be open and honest with. The whole thing is just not turned into a mess. <laughs> a week later, my friend feels so guilty that in the midst of a conversation, ends up coming clean and completely and totally ratting me out. <laughs> Luckily, when my wife approached me at that point, I, I was like, all right, I got to tell the truth. But it, it's, it's a, just a funny example of what happens so many times. You see, lies are the result of a selfish desire to control circumstances and people for our advantage. Listen to that. Lies are the result of a selfish desire to control people and circumstances for our advantage. I didn't want to get in trouble. I had things I needed done. And so I said, just lie. Just lie to manipulate the situation so that it'll turn out the way that I want it. And we can't live that kind of life because pretty soon we destroy all the trust in our relationships. Pretty soon no one believes us anymore. And pretty soon we're just all alone because everyone's like, I don't even know if I can believe him. I don't know. I, there's just there's no depth to the relationship. Without truth in a relationship, there is no depth. We have to learn to face every situation, every circumstance with complete and total honesty. The second thing Paul tells us to do, he says, first, put away falsehood. And then he goes, second, speak the truth. Uh, Notice, I think it's interesting. There is no option to remain silent. There is no option to just walk away. You do not lie. You can't remain silent. You have to speak the truth. And it applies to every situation across the board. It applies when you've messed up, and you're afraid of what's going to happen, when you're afraid of the consequences, you still have to speak the truth. It applies when someone hurts you. We're going to talk about that a little bit later, about how we react to that and what we do. But you know what? When someone hurts you, you have to be open and honest and speak the truth. And it applies when you look at other people's lives, and you see them going in a direction, and you see them acting in a way that you know is going to cause them great hurt. It is going to have negative consequences in their life. We are called to speak the truth and hold them accountable. Or Earlier in the chapter, Ephesians chapter 4 there in verse 15, Paul says this, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. If you highlight, if you underline, if you mark, uh, mark two phrases in that verse, all right? Two very important phrases. The first, truth in love. We have have to speak the truth with love. We have to actually care about the person. We have to care about the circumstance. We have to care about what's happening. And secondly, Mark, grow up. Speaking the truth in love is a sign of spiritual maturity. Of course it's not easy. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. I wouldn't have to preach on it. But it's difficult. It's hard to speak the truth in love. I mean, I look and I know I see just so many Christians out there and so many churches who, instead of speaking the truth in love, they sit there and they condemn someone and they gossip about them and they tell them everything that's wrong in their life and they tell them everything that's going to happen to them and all the consequences that they're going to inflict upon themselves and they point out just, just how sinful they are and they wrap their arm around them and say, and I'm only saying this because I love you. No! No! That's not the way God did it. That's not the way He calls us to do it. We cannot use the truth as a club. We cannot use it as a baseball bat to beat people down. He says, Speak the truth in love. Speak because you care about them. Speak because you're truly concerned about their lives. Yeah, understand it's difficult. Understand. It takes control. Understand it takes discipline. But understand that unless you come in love, people are gonna perceive it as an attack. People are gonna look at it and they're gonna get defensive and they're gonna put up walls and they're gonna resist the truth because of the way you're presenting it. That's the reason a lot of people will not step foot in a church because they have been burned by Christians who have condemned them. It's what I love about Fellowship of the Rockies is one of our core values is acceptance. That come as you are, open arms. We're not gonna judge you. We're not gonna put you down. You are accepted here. We must learn to control our words. And we do that by first putting away falsehood and second, speaking the truth. The second thing, Paul shows us in this passage that we need to be doing in order to to take control of our lives, to live our lives under control, to take that next step. I must control my anger. I must control my anger. He writes there, verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Listen, I fully understand that... Controlling anger is one of the most difficult things we do as human beings. It's one of the most difficult tasks. And the reason for that is that we live in a sinful world where people make terrible decisions, where we are faced constantly and barraged with a world that is not like us, that does not believe like we do. All right? The way the world functions is not the way it was designed or created to. And that causes this friction. And it just, it causes anger. Aristotle said this, anyone can become angry. That is easy. But to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose in the right way. This is not easy. The damage in our society due to uncontrolled anger is just staggering when you think about it counselors and psychologists will tell you that uncontrolled anger plays a role in virtually every divorce we see that at some point that uncontrolled anger is an influencer in that separation and let's be honest within marriage even marriages that stay together uncontrolled anger causes bitterness and resentment it causes walls to be built it can cause an emotional divorce You may still be living in the same home and you still may be married, but emotionally you're divorced because of uncontrolled anger. I work with teenagers and I see so often young students who, man, are affected by their parents' uncontrolled anger. And I see the fear and the resentment and the bitterness that begins to build in them. And sadly, so many of them, if they don't surrender to Christ, will grow up And they will have that same uncontrolled anger towards their spouse and towards their children people lose jobs and throw away careers professions i've seen people walk away from families all because of uncontrolled anger now some of you are sitting out there and you're thinking wow man that's that's crazy but i I just don't deal with that i don't struggle with that i don't have anger issues You know what, Justin, I don't respond with violence and rage and and, and all that stuff. But you know what? Uncontrolled anger can take a much more subtle form as well. Tell me if any of these sound familiar. When I get angry, I withdraw emotionally from people. When I get angry, I withhold my affection from people. When I get angry, I build walls between myself and those who have hurt me. When I get angry, I resort to hurtful comments masked with sarcasm. You see, just because you ignore your anger or because you express your anger in a nonviolent or nonverbal way, it doesn't mean you're controlling it. it. You're just letting it loose in a different manner if we're going to control our anger, we need to understand a little more about anger. I want to give you some facts about anger, some things to understand that will help us grasp how to control our anger. The first is that anger is a part of every human being. Listen, everyone experiences anger at some point. Everyone has the temptation to respond to anger. Jesus experienced anger. I love in Hebrews where it tells us that we have a high priest that, who, who experienced every emotion, every temptation that we experience, who knows and understands what we're going through, but handled it in the right way. You see, that's the key with anger. It is the key is how you process it, is learning to express it in a positive way that doesn't hurt you or those around you. When you do that, then you can say you're controlling your anger. The second thing, anger is is internal, all right? Now, if I was to just ask random people, pick you out at you shout out, hey, what are the things that make you the maddest? What are the things that make you the most angry? Our responses would be varied, but they fall into three categories. The first category is circumstances, all right? A circumstance is something like rush hour traffic, Oh, man, rush hour traffic, it just, man, it drives me insane. The way people drive is just ridiculous, and, and you just get mad thinking about it, all right? You don't even have to be in rush hour traffic, but it's this circumstance that just drives you insane. Your blood pressure starts to rise just when you think about it. Circumstance. Then there's objects. It could be a, a car. It could be a computer. Uh, just inanimate objects, all right? Those of you who work in an office setting, you understand that 97.8% of all office anger is the result of one machine. The copier. I'm telling you, all right? Office anger, copier, all right? It's an object, though, all right? Category. The, the third one, people. There's people who just, the mere thought of them just, oh, like in-laws. <laughs> I'm just going to move on before I get in any more trouble. Uh, but here's the deal. That's, most of us would respond in one of those three categories. But here's the truth. None of those things None of those things control our anger. None of those things cause us anger or create the anger. Our anger is inward. (laughs) You can't blame your anger on anyone or anything other than yourself. Anger is a choice you make. Just like a lie, it's a response to the people and circumstances that you find yourself within. (laughs) We just got through with a series, Joy Found, where we talked about finding contentment and true joy, true peace in Christ, despite the circumstances in our lives. It's a choice we make. Anger is no different. It's a choice we make. So really, when you think about it, the answer to the question, who makes you mad or what makes you mad, is very simple. I make me mad. All right? I know it sounds kind of silly, but... I make me mad. In fact, just just embrace that for a second. Just repeat it after me, alright? Say, I make me mad. Alright? Now here, turn to someone next to you, preferably someone you don't know. It's just easier that way. And tell them, I make me mad. Now, if you really want to take it to the next level, turn to someone you know and admit, I make me mad. You know? <laughs> Listen, we are so filled with insecurity, with resentment and bitterness and hurt and selfishness. We have such a desire for control that anger just becomes this natural reaction. It's just what we do and we begin to transfer that and blame it on other people and other things. But we've got to learn to take responsibility for our anger because it's not anyone else's fault. Third fact about sin about anger. Anger can be controlled. Paul writes in that verse, in your anger, do not sin. Now I hear people say all the time, Justin, that's just how I am. I've got a quick temper. I've got a short fuse. I can't control my anger. That's just the way God made me. That's just who I am. Now, I grew up, my dad's a pastor and he had a very precise Theological word for such inaccurate and unbiblical descriptions and ideas of self. All right, this theological word, this this word that he taught me growing up for stuff like that. Very very simple, hogwash. Okay, because it's just not true. Listen, if the stakes are high enough, we can control our anger. We just choose not to. I mean, think about it. We've all been in that situation. Set the here's the setting. All right. You're at home and it's getting tense, all right? Whether it's you and a spouse, you and a child, voices are raised, knuckles are starting to get white, faces are starting to get red, veins are starting to pop out, all right? It is intense. And then all of a sudden the phone rings. If you're a good Christian, it's probably a worship song. We are a chosen, you know, just kidding, just kidding. But, but anyway, it goes off and you, and you pick it up and you're like, instant change. Hey, Joe, what's going on? I mean, your face changes. Your blood pressure instantly goes down. Everything is different. And you carry on a five-minute conversation. All right, 7 o'clock? Yeah, I'll be there. That's going to be awesome. Can't wait. Can't wait. Click. As soon as you set the phone down and turn back around, back to angry. Man, we lie to ourselves when we say we can't control our anger because we do it all the time. There's just times in our lives we choose not to control our anger. Listen, Solomon wrote this in Proverbs 16:32: "Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit better than he who takes a city." Listen, it ain't easy to control your anger, but it is possible.' fourth fact about anger. Only a fool gives full vent to his anger. You see, there's another myth out there that the best way to deal with anger is just to let it fly, just to release it, to let it go. Get it off your chest. Tell him exactly how you feel about it. Blow off some steam. Throw something. Hit something. Go running. Just scream at something. Because if you don't, you're just going to explode. Guess what? I got a word for that. Hogwash. It's just not true. Solomon writes in Proverbs 29 11, a fool gives full vent to his spirit. Other versions translate, translate that word spirit anger. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man quietly holds it back. I mean, we've got this idea that that's healthy, that you've got to release this, just let it fly. But actually, 30 years of psychological research shows the complete opposite. Because what happens is when you become angry, there is a physiological change that happens in your body, all right? Chemicals are released, blood pressure goes up, pulse rate goes up, hormones are released. All of this stuff begins to happen, all right? And yes, when you release it, when you scream, when you yell, when you hit something, when you just, poof, yeah, it releases that and it, it does bring it down. But what doctors have found, what scientists have found, is that the next time you become angry, that your body releases more hormones. That it has an even greater response to less of a stressor. That it compensates and it begins to release more and more. Basically, it becomes an addiction. Where you have to go further and further to feed your anger, to release your anger. Not only that, but it begins to give you this emotional idea that you're in control. That you hold the situation in your hand. It gives you this feeling of, of power. That makes you not care about the hurt and the pain that is in others' lives. The scars and the wounds that you're inflicting upon them. Fact five, you have to deal with anger quickly. Paul writes, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Now let's be honest, anger directed at a circumstance or an object often fades pretty quickly. It's not as difficult to let go. But when you're dealing with a person, someone who's hurt you, that is a whole nother story because what happens very rarely do we ever go talk to them. Very rarely do we ever go and share with them that they have hurt us deeply. Instead, we go find someone else to talk to about it. And we tell them what a terrible person they, that, that other person is and how much they hurt us. And, and all it does is begin to feed our anger and make us even angrier. And, and not only that, but now we've got someone else who's like agreeing with us, who's getting mad at that person, who's getting a negative image of that person. And now they're mad at that person. We've got this secondary anger. It's not helping the situation at all. You see, the Bible makes it very, very clear. Jesus said in Matthew 18, speaking about how to handle a conflict, how to handle a dispute with a brother. He says, if your brother sins against you, sins, he's done you wrong, all right? It is his fault. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Circle, mark it, highlight it, whatever it takes, alone. Don't bring buddies with you. Don't bring their family into it. Don't bring your spouse into it. Go confront them, you and them, one-on-one, alone. If they listen to you, you've gained your brother. Now remember, backing up, truth in love. You've got to present it with love. You can't use this as a baseball bat just to beat them down and tell them what they've done wrong. You've got to share with them your feelings and, and, and how they've hurt you, but it, with the whole idea of reconciling this relationship. And let's be honest, for those of us who've taken a step and done this before, it's awkward. It's not easy. It doesn't feel right at first. And, and oftentimes that relationship is still kind of for a little bit. But in the long run, you make that relationship stronger. Jesus says you gain your brother back. You restore the relationship. I love how Paul ends the passage, though. It's like he's given us the the what we need to do, and then he gives us the why we need to do it. He says in verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. You see, lying and anger The reason it destroys relationships and the reason it destroys you is because it gives Satan a door into your life and a chance just to mess you up. Listen, deceit and anger are like like a wound. And man, it so easily becomes infected. And that infection, that poison spreads through your whole body and it causes bitterness and resentment and fear fear and more anger and and cause depression and a host of other things because Satan now has a hold on you and it kills you from the inside out you begin to die a slow painful death listen (laughs) Jesus said that the thief comes to still kill and destroy speaking of Satan But I have come that you may have life and life more abundant. God wants you to have an amazing life, a life full of joy and excitement, a life with great relationships, the life that He has called you to. But if you are not willing to take your life under control, you will never experience that. I want to close with with an excerpt from one of Pastor Charlie's sermons. And Just listen, it's so powerful. Imagine what it would be like in your relationships if there was total truth and no deception. Imagine with me what it would be like to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose in the right way. To move through your day and all its tests, the traffic, the deadlines, the waiting in line with a sense of peace and calmness because you are connected with God and you have given him place in your life. Imagine looking at people differently. Instead of speaking a language that's filled with anger and sarcasm, instead of responding to them in anger and hostility, you speak words of truth and of love. Instead of destroying a person without ever raising your voice, you build them up, providing hope and encouragement. Instead of looking at people as enemies and rivals. You genuinely love and care for them and you welcome them into your life with open arms. Imagine never again going through a day sulking, withdrawn, cold, or depressed. Imagine never again using words that wound the souls of other people. Imagine never having to look into the eyes of a child and see fear or resentment. Never having the embarrassment and guilt of blowing up doing something you regret. Imagine never having to say, I wish I could take it back. Imagine no more regrets. Imagine people who hurt you and you no longer lashing back at them because revenge and bitterness have no hold on your heart. Imagine this strong, healthy heart able to offer free forgiveness, abundant hope and life-giving truth. Imagine letting go and getting on with your life imagine no more conversations centered on your resentment your bitterness and on the people that have wronged you instead imagine words of life flowing freely from your mouth because you are living this life more abundantly god says in him in his power you can have this abundant life would you all just close your eyes and bow your heads with me I pray and I hope above all else that at some point God has spoken to you today through his scripture, through the words through the worship and music and it, it comes to the point right now where you have to ask yourself the question Now, what am I going to do with it? how am I going to walk out of here different than I came in? what is God speaking to you about today? Maybe there's anger and bitterness in your life and you need to come and just ask God to help you forgive that person who's hurt you, to let go of that anger. Maybe there's just a lot of lies that you've been living and you just wanna come clean. Man, it starts with God. Maybe you're here today and Man, you don't have a relationship with God. You struggle with anger and deceit, and it, you just want to get rid of it, but you've never even given your life to God. Man, this is the time to come forward and to just give it to Him. You see, in just a moment I'm going to pray, and then we're all going to stand up. And I'm going to ask that if God is doing something in your life, that when we all stand up as a congregation, that you just come forward. Man, maybe you just want to praise God, and you just want to thank Him. And say, God, thank you for the awesome things you're doing in my life. It doesn't matter. Our prayer partners are going to be coming down with you. They're individuals who just want to pray with you, who want to just to worship with you, to be there for you, to speak love into your life. No judgment, no condemnation. They're going to be coming forward too. And so I'm just going to ask that after we pray and stand up, that you just come with them, that you come down here and just do business with God.